you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to Luke chapter 23. This Easter season, we're going through Luke and his accounts of the last few days of Jesus' life. Tonight, we come to that section where we see, we witness the crucifixion of Jesus. Be reading verses 26 through 56, chapter 23. This is the word of God. And as they led him away, they seized one Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, and laid on him the cross to carry it behind Jesus. And there they followed him a great multitude of the people and of women who were mourning and lamenting for him. But turning to them, Jesus said, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For behold, the days are coming when they will say, Blessed are the barren, and the wombs that never bore, and the breasts that never nursed. Then they will begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us, and to the hills, cover us. For if they do these things when the wood is green, what will happen when it is dry? Two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, There they crucified him, and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments. And the people stood by watching, but the rulers scoffed at him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself, if he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him. This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. It was now about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour, while the sun's light failed, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Then Jesus calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. Now when the centurion saw what had taken place, he praised God, saying, Certainly, this man was innocent. And all the crowds that had assembled for this spectacle, when they saw what had taken place, returned home, beating their breasts. And all his acquaintances and the women who had followed him from Galilee stood at a distance watching these things. Now there was a man named Joseph from the Jewish town of Arimathea. He was a member of the council, a good and righteous man who had not consented to their decision and action. And he was looking for the kingdom of God. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then he took it down and wrapped it in a linen shroud 
and laid him in a tomb cut in stone where no one had ever been laid. It was the day of preparation, and the Sabbath was beginning. The women who had come with him from Galilee followed and saw the tomb and how his body was laid. Then they returned and prepared spices and ointments. On the Sabbath, they rested according to the commandment. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Let's pray that he would teach us this evening. Heavenly Father, it is a somber account to read what was done to your Son on our behalf. I pray that we would hear what you would have us to say, that I would speak your words, and that they would not return void, but that you would work in our hearts and our minds, help us know you more, and to love you more deeply. We pray this in your Son's name. Amen. I don't know if you have ever felt like you are on the outside. If you've ever felt isolated or excluded from those around you or from wherever you are. Maybe it's been the neighborhood you live in. Maybe it has been the the household you're in. Felt isolated and excluded from your own family members, from your only spouse. Maybe it's even been yourself. You felt isolated or excluded or, or on the outside, not understanding, not, not fully in tune with your own body or thoughts or emotions. And being excluded, being on the outside is not good. If you've experienced this, I don't have to tell you that. It is not a good thing. It is not the way that it is supposed to be. But the good news, the whole reason we celebrate this day when Jesus died as a good Friday is that Jesus went outside to bring us in. Our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, went outside to bring us in. And we're going to see that throughout the whole history of God's redemption, how he is, he is setting up a specific place for his presence, and that sin and uncleanliness puts someone outside of that, but how Jesus himself goes outside to bring the unclean and the sinner in. So if you rewind all the way back to the beginning, and to the Garden of Eden, You see that God put Adam and Eve into this garden to work it and keep it, is what most translations say. The Hebrew, Abad and Shamar, work it and keep it. It can also be translated to to serve or to worship and to work. And so you see that that God put Adam and Eve to to sit in this, this temple of sorts where his presence was, where he walked with them to worship and to work in his presence alongside him walking with him in the cool of the day. But that's not how it stayed. Sin entered in. And when sin entered in, God's holiness could not abide the presence of that. And Adam and Eve were were sent out or, or drove out, is how it's described in Genesis. They were driven out of God's presence in this beautiful garden where God had placed them. When sin and uncleanness entered in, that had to be pushed out of God's holy presence. 
And that continues. You go through Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and and Joseph and all of these people that God has set up, and you see he's slowly building this people for himself, this nation of Israel, where he will dwell with them. And so when Moses has literal mountaintop experience, that God shows him, I want you to build this tabernacle. He gives him the exact specifications for how to build this tent where God will come and tabernacle and meet with his people. And we see that, that Israel has this temple where God is going to come. And Israel has priests that help them interact with and mediate with God. And, and in a sense, Israel is a nation of priests that are supposed to mediate between the whole of the world and God. And in this people, in this community that God is creating, there is a a high price, a high premium put on holiness. A high premium put on cleanliness is hugely important. That's why there's extensive laws for what makes someone clean or unclean in the Old Testament. Throughout Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers, and Deuteronomy, there's over 600 rules and regulations that clearly delineate what is good and bad, what is clean and unclean. And uncleanliness, whether that is physical or spiritual, results in separation. We saw that earlier in Numbers chapter 5. That if you fell into one of those categories, you were put outside the camp. Leviticus 13, amongst other passages, it says, The leprous person, he is unclean, he shall live alone, his dwelling shall be outside the camp. And so there's this wonderful, beautiful community of God's people where he dwells amongst them. But if you are sinning, if you are unclean, you are put outside of that. I had a run of a stomach bug in my house not too long ago, and I'll spare you the details except to say I had to take a rug outside of the house to clean it. Sometimes things are, are dirty that, that for the, the protection of the community, for the protection of that person, they have to be separated and removed lest God's holiness consumes and destroys. And so we see in Israel that, that the clean can be in the presence of God, but anyone who is unclean is put out. And this continues as, as Israel comes and settles in the land And they have this city of Jerusalem where they take the the model of the tabernacle and they build this gigantic, magnificent temple that is modeled in the same way. And it has the Ark of the Covenant and God's presence is there. And there's these courts where where the, the outermost court, if you're not Jewish, you can't even enter in. And then if you're Jewish, you can go into the next court. But the Holy of Holies, the most holy place where God's very presence is, no one can enter except the high priest once a year. And even then, he has to have sacrifices made on his behalf before he can set foot in God's presence. Still here in this beautiful city, the whole of Zion enjoys God's presence. The city of Zion, the city of Jerusalem, this hill on which the temple was built. In the Psalms, it says his dwelling place, talking about God, his dwelling place is in Zion. God lives amongst his people. His holiness comes and rests in their midst. 
But if you've read the Old Testament, I don't have to tell you what happens. Over and over and over again, over hundreds and and thousands of years, God's people openly rebel. And it's not just that they, they do wrong things. That would be bad enough. But they openly pursue other gods saying, we want that God. We want our hope to be in that idol. And they commit adultery against God over and over again. And they show themselves to be unclean and sinful over and over again. And God has patience over many years. He sends them many prophets. In 2 Kings, as, as he's getting ready to cast them out, he goes through, I sent all these prophets and they didn't listen. I sent my law and they did not hear and obey. But he had cast them out of his sight. He dwells in Zion, but he cast them out of his sight due to their idolatry and uncleanness. Uncleanliness, sin cannot stay in the presence of God. It is put outside the camp. It is cast out of his presence. It is sent away and excluded. And if the story ended there, it would be kind of dour. But it doesn't. Because we come to Jesus, who is, in a sense, the ultimate insider. He is perfect. He is holy. He is the image of the invisible God. In him, the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. In Philippians, it says that though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And so this ultimate insider, this perfect holy one who is the image of the invisible God, in whom the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, he goes outside the camp. The one who was perfectly clean and whom no sin could be found, he takes that burden on himself and goes outside the camp, is excluded and isolated on our behalf. We don't have a good picture of exactly what the ancient city of Jerusalem looked like, but this is an approximation. And you can see that no matter where you are outside the city, you could see the temple, that white building there at the top. And when Jesus went to be crucified, he had to go outside of the temple, outside of the city where God's presence was dwelling, and was hung on a cross in a criminal's death outside of the camp. You get a taste of this outsideness when it includes these two criminals. Just throws him in amongst them. The Romans didn't see. He's just, he's just an average guy that we're going to go out and kill. You get a taste of this, this exclusion and, and the mockery that he endures from the rulers of God's own people to the, the soldiers of this occupying force to another criminal who was suffering the same fate on a cross next to him. He is mocked over and over again. 
highlighting this exclusion. Somewhat shamefully, maybe you can remember a time when you mocked someone for being different or were mocked for being different. It is human nature to do this. In this mockery, we see that, that Jesus was fully excluded. He was outside the bounds of what was acceptable. He was cast off. He was isolated. In Numbers 5, it says that one of the reasons someone becomes unclean is through contact with the dead. And we see in Jesus that he takes on our uncleanness by coming in contact with us. We who are dead in our trespasses and sins. He comes in contact with the dead and takes on their uncleanness to himself. And he goes outside of God's presence, outside of where God is dwelling, outside of the temple, outside of God's people in order to bring them in. He did so for us. He takes on our sin. He takes on our uncleanness. It was not his. He did not earn it in any way. He took it on himself voluntarily because of his great love for us. And with that, he takes on the burden of being excluded, of being put outside, a punishment he did not deserve. The criminal who is crucified next to him understands this. The criminal rebukes his fellow and says, we deserve the punishment we are enduring. But this man is innocent. This man is innocent. Notice Jesus' heart, even in the midst of his suffering. He comforts the mourners with that quote from the prophet Zechariah. He asks for forgiveness for those who are actively murdering him. Because he recognizes that in their, the weight of their sin, they don't even understand what action they are undertaking. So Jesus took our uncleanness so that we could open, he could open the way for us into God's presence. God dwells in Zion, but, but we are put out from that because of our own sin. God dwells in his holy temple, but we cannot enter in because of our uncleanness, but... Jesus goes outside to bring us in. And it's almost a passing note that the curtain was torn as Jesus dies. This gigantic curtain, which would have been in the temple. It's not like a little flimsy curtain you get from Target. We're talking multiple, maybe a foot or so thick, multiple inches thick, ripped completely through. It was supposed to be a barrier to keep people out from the Holy of Holies, to keep people out of God's presence. But when Jesus dies with the weight of our sin on him, that barrier is ripped open. And we have access, and we can go to God boldly, and we can have confidence before him, not because of anything in us, but because the blood of Christ has cleaned us. And so what do we do with this? What do we do with this acknowledgement that, that Jesus went outside to bring us in? When we follow the example of Joseph, 
of Arimathea. This man who was part of the council, he was an elite member of society. He, it says, was looking for the kingdom. And what did that lead him to do? He goes to Pilate, and he identifies with Christ. This man who was just just murdered, who's just punished in a criminal trial, and says, I'm with him, and takes his body and prepares it and puts it in his own tomb. He recognizes himself as someone who is outside, but recognizes the one who went outside for him. He even embalms it, a process that would have rendered him unclean in the midst of a high, holy Jewish festival. So we should be looking for the kingdom. And it's often going to show up in places where we don't expect. We like to think of the kingdom of God as going to be powerful and, and, and transcendent and blustery and magnificent, and it's going to be so obvious. It's just going to show up, and there's going to be no way to ignore it. But oftentimes, in this life, the kingdom of God manifests in humility and manifests in, in patience in a slow, plodding faithfulness that is quiet. Maybe you're here tonight and you don't feel like an outsider. You're pretty comfortable with the world around you, with yourself, with where you are. But if, if that peace is not resting on Jesus, it is a false peace. And you need to consider that, that maybe the reason you have peace with the world around you is because you are part of the world. And you are numbering yourself with the rulers and soldiers who were comfortable where they were and mocked the one who was outside. But maybe you're here and you know you're outside. You feel the weight of, of sin, of your own sin, You feel the weight of the sin of those around you and the sin that has been done against you. And you feel like an outsider. The good news of this Good Friday is that God's own Son became an outsider for you. God's own Son became an outsider to bring you into His presence because He loves you. Run to him. Paul summarizes it this way. God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still outside the camp, Christ came outside to bring us in. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are all outside of your presence on our own efforts, whether we realize it or not, whether we are ready to admit it or not. We need you desperately. Help us, Father, to recognize this, to cry out for you, for your hope, for your salvation, for your Son, in whose name we pray. Amen. You'd stand and join me in singing our closing hymn.